Welcome to the Agency of Today podcast with Harvey and Gary. Welcome to our discussion with Adam Perlis. Adam is the founder and CEO of Academy Product Design Agency. He also founded Dream Projects. He is the former head of design and UX for Time Magazine, where he oversaw the redesign of Time, Fortune, and Money.com. His award-winning work has been featured on the FWA Awards and TechCrunch. He has been a speaker of South by Southwest, Web Summit, and many other events. He is a design sprint facilitator, user experience designer, and design thinking expert with a passion for human-centered design. We'll be talking about the differences in future of the UX and design disciplines, how to develop a UX portfolio and land a gig with dream projects, the importance of design improving its value, how to implement new design processes, not compromising and holding to a high standard, and working with recruiters and much more. For more authentic discussions with leaders in the industry, please check out agencyoftoday.com. Adam Perlis. Perlis. You got it. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Our little Thanks for having me. Oh, no worries. Um, you got all your drinks? Yeah, oh, yeah. Good we're go. good. We're good. Right. Yeah. Just water and coffee today. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be an after hours podcast we'll do. It was a latte. Um, so how about what, uh, give us a little bit of background on yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So um, right now uh, I've started my own agency. It's called Academy. We're a product design agency focusing mostly on digital work, you know, apps, websites, these kind of things. And um, prior to that, I was the head of design for Time Magazine, oversaw the redesign for timefortuneandmoney.com. And um, yeah, prior to that, I worked at at and as a creative director and had a long history working with agencies and prior to that I was actually a producer I made commercials for television and NBC Sports for a, for a while but uh, yeah now in the product design world love it nice nice how did you make that transition from being a producer to into like and also UX design I'd also love to give your take on these terms yeah since they you know I'm a designer I'm a UX person you know Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I started off in sort of one part of the creative um, career where I was writing and producing commercials. Um, I was learning some tools, right? Um, Final Cut, Avid, After Effects, Cinema 4D. And as I started to go deeper in that world, I started to have to learn other tools like Photoshop and Illustrator. And then the web became super popular. And I said, well, I got to start to learn how this to build fad. websites. Yeah, this fad <laughs> called websites. You may have heard of it. Um, Google it. Uh, and, you know, we basically started to, to look at, you know, all right, well, how can I start to, to actually make these things? And so I learned how to code a little bit. And um, eventually uh, some other tools came about, like Sketch. Um, and I really got super into it on the side, doing projects for myself or friends or freelance gigs. And um, got a job at AT&T. We started to, to do some stuff internally and really sort of solidified my skill set there and um, started to learn about UX as a, a field. It didn't really exist until that point. No one had ever called it that before. And uh, started to read about the work that IDEO was doing and uh, Google uh, with their design sprints and started to run those things internally and uh, eventually started to kind of become an expert in doing that kind of work. And... Um, you know, I, I transitioned my career by really just switching jobs. I, um, I just I was lucky enough to get hired at Time Magazine. They, they saw the, um, 
sort of my trajectory. They thought that I had the skill set to be able to, to make this happen, and, and I did, and, and I transitioned, and yeah, never looked back since. Did you have a portfolio at the time, or was it something that took a while for you to build up? That's a great question. So I did, um, I, but I, I didn't for a long time, and then I decided to spend about three weeks um, designing and developing my own portfolio, and um, I was sort of heads down for three weeks. At the end of those three weeks, I posted on LinkedIn, and actually one of my old interns from uh, AT&T, four years prior, he had worked for me as an intern. He was now a director at Time. And uh, he reached out to me and said, hey, do you want to come over to Time Magazine? And I said, sure, why not? Uh, and so, yeah, you know, just treat your interns right. It's a good, good lesson, you know? Um, but, um, yeah, as it relates to, you know, UX, UI, all these different fields that are sort of popping up, um, yeah, I mean, I make distinctions between them. You know, there's certainly skill sets uh, and disciplines that there are people who are experts at. And um, I think the, the better designers that are out there are starting to learn all these fields in some degree. Um, but um, there's always going to be room for these individual contributors who are just experts in what they do. And um, I've worked with fabulous UX designers who aren't great UI designers. I've worked with fabulous UI designers who aren't great UX designers. Um, and I've worked with them together. Uh, and combining their skills. And um, yeah, I've seen nothing but success in, in both uh, fields where maybe you have a hybrid and then maybe you have somebody who's a specialist. Do you think they'll ever become like more standard? Because it used to be in the, like the <clears throat> older world, back in my earlier days, it used to be very, um, they wouldn't call necessarily a UX person. It would be, I mean, well, first there was, to your point, there was, that doesn't exist. And then even when they did, it was like they had their own deliverables. They were wireframes. Mm -hmm. right. The designer comes in and, you know, not necessarily like it was always even known then, like you just don't paint them, you actually work together. But it was very much more linear process mm -hmm. um, where obviously we've all worked at places where, so like you said, like those, a designer, UX person work together. Maybe they have one deliverable, what have you. Right. Um, but do you see a time... Like, do you see it going to a place where it's more standardized? Like, you're this type of designer, or you're, or maybe UX doesn't exist, and it's like you're just a designer for a product, or you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, a lot of organizations now are sort of gravitating towards the term product designer, which definitely is a hybrid between a UX and a UI designer. And I think the expectations are that that you are skilled in in both worlds. So I do think there are sort of things that are starting to converge more. Um, and that brings a lot more value to the organization when you can do both, yeah. right? Hiring two people costs you double the price, right? And UX designers are very expensive. They're the most actually highly paid um, design job out there right now. Um, and for good reason. Uh, I think that they actually can prove direct value to the business. Um, but if I can find a UX designer who also is a good UI designer, I'm going to hire them over the person who's just good at UX or just good at UI. Right. Um, so we talked about a little bit before, uh, you touched upon doing your own portfolio. Um, obviously, it's a necessity. Um, I know you have your own kind of separate project you do, helping people out that are at the end of their careers, um, kind of build up their, their worker to have something. Do you want to talk to 
touch a little bit on that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I started a, an initiative called Dream Projects, uh, DreamProjects.co, and um, the idea behind it was, you know, designers, especially junior designers, um, have trouble building up their portfolios. They they don't have a lot of work to show. Um, they have trouble explaining their process. Oftentimes, their portfolios are extra long or extra short, and um, they're not really getting the message across to the people that are potentially going to hire them. And um, I would take about a phone call a week with a junior designer who would ask me the same question. You know, how do I get a job in UX or UI? And uh, I universally tell them the exact same thing. Look, your portfolio is not deep enough. I can't see the type of work that you're doing. Your portfolio looks like everyone else in your graduating class from some, you know, incubator school or whatever. And, uh, and so I'm not seeing anything that differentiates you from the rest. And I can't see the way that you think. So um, why don't you go out there and do a project, right? Um, this could be your own personal project. You can go help uh, redesign something for a friend's business. You can go and redesign Instagram or Facebook or whatever you want. Find a feature that you think stinks and, you know, fix it. And, um, and then come back to me in two weeks. If you do a good job with it, I'll make an introduction for you and, and hopefully get you an interview somewhere. And um, probably about 1% of the people I talked to would do that. It's a very low percentage because um, it takes a lot of effort. Yep. But the truth is, is that to get a job in this industry, it does take a lot of effort, mm -hmm. right? It's a lot of hard work. And that's what's going to be expected of you in the workplace. So if you don't want it bad enough, you're not going to get it. And so um, the reason I started Dream Projects was I thought there's a way to maybe standardize this. I was asking these people to do the same thing over and over again. And, um, you know, we set up a system where we have a monthly competition, uh, where we partner with an amazing company who's offering an interview uh, as a prize. And um, designers, junior designers, will compete with others um, against, uh, you know, basically creating uh, uh, designs against the brief that's been customized for that company. And, um, yeah, they'll submit it. And they're judged based on uh, several different criteria, strategy, process, uh, creativity, uh, design, um, and, uh, yeah, innovation. And, and essentially, uh, we just ran our, our first beta test and were able to successfully place a candidate uh, with Squarespace. And so they, they conducted an interview with them. It went extremely well. Unfortunately, uh, they couldn't take the job. Their husband had just gotten a job at Amazon in Seattle, and <laughs> they had to move. And so... Um, it, Amazon strikes again. Yeah. So, you know, it was, it was a little bit unfortunate, but we, you know, we felt it was an overwhelming success. And, um, yeah, really excited to continue to help young designers uh, build out their portfolios and give them structure and... An opportunity. That process, when you look at their work and you judge it on those criteria that you outlined, is that <clears throat> is that you and or peers looking at that before go to that to that business who is offering that interview? Like you do that first, kind of like <clears throat> go through and maybe come up with a couple or just one, or and then say, hey, this is the one we're recommended for the interview. Or how's that? How's that part work? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we actually. Um, got an incredible uh, group of designers, um, and we really targeted people who were senior designer and above um, at, uh, at at a company. And we also evaluated them based on their, um, you know, their resumes and, and their own work. Right? We couldn't have people that we just didn't value their own work either. Um, so um, so we we judged we judged <laughs> the judges. Right. And um, and those judges generously, you know 
gave their time to, um, to actually vote on, on the various criteria we gave them for each of these projects. Um, that was sort of the initial vetting process. And then um, once that's finished, we sort of give a curated list to um, the, the sponsor, in this case, Squarespace, and they had their own um, time to judge the projects as well, um, independent of what the, the judges said. Yeah. And, um, and so from there, uh, we sort of whittled it down, and, and ultimately the, uh, the sponsor will choose the winner. Um, but, um, but yeah, the, the community is largely uh, involved in, in helping that's um, awesome. Shape that. that's, that's awesome. Did a sponsor yeah. provide a brief as well, or was it something that you provided for um, the, the program? Yeah, so we collaborated with the sponsor to help them uh, write the brief. But, um, but yeah, you know, we have some preset templates that if a sponsor wants to use one of those, um, you know, they can. Uh, and then they also um, are capable of writing their own. In this case, Squarespace decided to write their own brief. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think it, it worked out well. Um, it's sort of you know, we're changing the paradigm a little bit in terms of the way um, recruiting works. Um, you know, previously, if you're a junior designer, you'd be sending your resume to Squarespace. Mm -hmm. But really, what kind of resume do you have at that point? Yeah. You, I mm -hmm. went to school. Yeah. At, like, some well, random college. Well, it's like college. a mini, it's sort of a, a job, though, in a way, right? Right. It's like, it's that chicken and egg, like... Yeah. Yeah. How do I get a job? I don't have experience, but how do you get experience? You get the job. Like, and it doesn't show how yes, you think chicken or egg, yeah. right? Yeah. And and so um, really, as a junior person, right, you just want to show the, the quality of your work. Yep. Like, look, I, I can do this. And so we're kind of flipping the model on its head and saying, well, let's lead with a project. It's much easier for, especially in the design world, it's much easier for a um, recruiter to look through a bunch of pictures and say, oh wow, like that picture stands out to me. I'm gonna click on that and look at more, as opposed to a bunch of text-based resumes yep. that they may or may not be able to sort through. And really, are those the best um, evaluator of uh, talent? Right. Um, and there's also so much bias in that, yep. right? What's really nice, you know, and I know you guys had Lawrence Edmondson on the, on the um, podcast. Not Shout out to Lawrence. Ago. Shout out to mm -hmm. Lawrence. Um, you know, uh, he talks a lot about diversity in the workplace, and he even has built some software to, to help um, yep. assuage this concern. Well, well, in this case, right, we're, we're able to sort of say, you know what, there's no bias here. Good work, it's good work, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Click on what you think is, looks nice, and hopefully you like it, and you see that they can do the yeah. work. That's right? awesome. So, yeah. and, and my assumption is that it's not, <clears throat> that it's twofold in the fact that, yeah, like if you, if you get to that top rung and you get selected and get interviewed, that's awesome. That's kind of like the, the top prize. Yeah. My assumption is with these briefs is that they're they're still public in the fact that people who participated, if they made it to the second rung, third rung, whatever, still have work they did against a brief from a public company yeah. that they can put in their portfolio, right? So it's that's not right. just like, yes, the prize is that the right. person gets a job, but the rest of the people involved, I'm assuming, gets, you know, that's the yeah. real kind of meat behind the... Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that because, yeah, like, you know, you've, you're a designer, you've invested all this time into submitting this work, right? And, and you don't want it to be for naught. And um, so what we've done is we've created sort of a template to help guide them on how to structure their portfolio pieces so that, you know, what they do take away from this is e even if they don't get an interview, um, they're, they're also able to have a portfolio piece that has been structured in a proper way um, that, um, you know, tries to follow some best practices in the industry and, um, and, and they can walk away having learned something to hopefully take into their next portfolio piece. I spoke with a girl yesterday who, um, she didn't participate this time, but, but said, 
how much she valued the platform because it was able to teach her something beyond just even winning an interview. She felt right. great about that. Yeah. And, you know, that made us really happy that we were able to yeah. help inspire someone, even even if we weren't doing all that much. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's like storytelling on your work. I mean, that's kind of the brass tacks of it, right? Like, that's right. How do you put together and communicate that? Yeah. And I think like the way that we've structured it, and I've, I've told a lot of junior designers, you know, you really have to keep things concise as a hire, all I really want to see is, did you follow the process that you're supposed to follow in this type of line of work, right? Um, did you um, solve a problem, right? And what were your solutions? And like, how did you solve them? What was your insights? Um, and then, um, you know, what's the visual aesthetic and how easy was it to use, right? Like, was it clear that it was, it was very easy to use? It wasn't complicated. And I think if you've covered those criteria, you've had a, a very successful submission. And, um, you know, we had a few, uh, the winner, I think, hit on almost all of those things. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, the, some of the runners up also came very close. Like, they did a really nice job. And, you know, we were, we were really pleased with the results. And I think that ultimately this is just helping people. So we're have, happy about that. Have you gathered any metrics in terms of, like, people who followed your process and have successfully nailed an interview or um, were, were eventually hired because of this process? Yeah, so we're at the earliest stages. We just we did a one-month beta program. We're now in the process of interviewing um, the people who participated to understand from all different angles, um, judges, um, sponsors, and, um, and designers who participated in the program, to understand well, what went well, what didn't go well. Mm -hmm. um, what we know is, you know, we learned some interesting things. The amount of people that actually participated versus actually signed up was actually pretty low. It was actually, and that was surprising but it was um you know it was kind of unsurprising because yeah, as right. i mentioned before um, when i even talked to people and tried to encourage them you know, a low percentage you know end up actually working on things we're hoping to change that behavior over time and showing success um you know i think we'll, we'll hopefully do that you know we made a successful um placement with squarespace they were very happy um with the person that we presented to them it was unfortunate that it didn't work out but what we know is we made a successful match. Yeah. And that's just a huge testament to, to success. And hopefully we'll be able to get some quality metrics back, increment on this, and, and eventually launch something that will be a, a better version of the first. Do your, <clears throat> your sign-up criteria, um, so you don't have anyone gaming the system, is there like a, you know, is this only for people straight out of school, two years out of school? Like, how do you... Um, are there rules around, you know, how you qualify for it as far as, like, where you're at in your career? No, I mean, we don't have any rules. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, if you're a senior designer and you want to start applying for junior designer roles, right. sure. Um, <laughs> right, right. You know, I think it's okay. Um, you know, I don't feel like it's unfair. This is an equal playing field. Everyone's, you know, going to be using the same brief and the same tools. Some might have more experience than others. Yep. Um, some might be career switchers. Might be That's what out I'm of, getting out of, is like, out yeah. of school. Uh, so and some might be in the industry. Like, hey, you're out of school. It's a fact yeah. There's this position. Here's the brief. Yeah. It's likely that most senior designers aren't going to want to go for a, a right. junior designer position. Right. And we don't think that this platform is built for senior designers. Yeah. It's really for, for someone who's just getting started. Um, but we actually have started to talk to other communities too. 
Um, and they've actually kind of came up organically. People have approached us and said, hey, could you do this for you know, product uh, management? Right, mm -hmm. we actually need to put together strategy decks um, for our interviews. Right. Um, or uh, developers have asked the same thing. Can you do this for development uh, or strategists um, also? So we're seeing some grander visions of like you know possibly being able to expand this to other communities that are um, also suffering from the same yeah. problem you mentioned yeah. before, which is I'm just going in there with a resume right now and I don't have any experience. How do I get a job? Yeah, it's interesting because you can almost you know, super pie in the sky, but you can almost see it where that model where you have different disciplines, you almost can get to a model of somehow companies invest so much, people get together with their own technologists and strategists, and you'd almost be like, in a way, crowdsourcing work in a way, or, or creating a environment by which you could almost have mini team, almost like there are mini agencies mm -hmm. right. for work in a way, right? Like yeah. I have my crew, we're tight, we're responsive, this brief, that brief, do you right. assignment? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, and I know there's, there's been groups out there that have done um, similar things to that where like, you know, instead of it, the prize being a, um, you know, a job interview, right? You, you can have your team go and attack a brief, right? And, um, you know, I think that it's a very interesting model. I haven't seen one, like, work super well, um, which is why I think staying in this space where yeah. we're really focused on um, recruitment and, um, and hiring and helping designers get to, the, to this level where they'll, they'll actually get a job is kind of like where, where our sweet spot is. Yep. Um, and, you know, who knows, maybe it will expand into something different at some point, right, later down the line. Yeah. But um, for sure, like within the next year, our core focus will be designers. And then hopefully if we can build a platform that is sustainable and, and that people are really enjoying from a user experience standpoint um, and that is profitable, then, um, then I think we'll start to expand to different markets and see if we can make this yeah. into a bigger, bigger yeah. platform. I'm curious about, um, you mentioned like other disciplines using like this platform and, and potentially having portfolios like for, um, you know, as an intro to a, an interview. Um, from a PM standpoint, sometimes I, I always thought that was um, a little bit like odd that people ask for a portfolio from a PM because it doesn't really show the way you're thinking. So like, would you tailor it to more of what the discipline is? Um, and would it be like more like, you know, problem solving questions or handling financing or finances and budget and things like that um, mm -hmm. versus just what a standard like portfolio for like creatives where it's images and you right. know storytelling and decks and, and whatnot right yeah I think um, you know with whatever uh, community that we start to um, engage with it's all going to start with research we follow the same process mm -hmm. that we follow in my agency right which is we'll start with discovery and research and try to understand the community a little bit What's cool is those, some of those communities are coming directly to us already and saying we need this. Mm -hmm. So we see that there's interest, which is great. Um, but then determining, well, how do we build the platform around that? Mm -hmm. Because the needs of a product manager are very different than the needs of a, um, of a designer. Mm -hmm. And also the needs of a hiring manager in product versus hiring manager and designer also very different. So our platform may not become a one-size-fits-all. It may need to be tweaked depending on the community that we're working with. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, the hope will be to be able to do some more thorough research, uh, investigate the opportunity, mm -hmm. and, and then tailor it as necessary. 
do you have any recommendations and maybe it's just you personally to people you have worked with as far as the do's and don'ts or of a portfolio, not from the storytelling aspect, which is a lot of what this project focuses on, mm-hmm. um, but from obviously there's a lot of legal areas, right? Like work, there's always a huge issue of like work that hasn't launched yet, right? But like someone might have had done a freelance gig on a piece of work or worked mm-hmm. on something and did a ton of work, but product hasn't launched yet, right? Mm-hmm. So there's that, there's legalities around what you can show, can't show, you might've done something as total back of the house that could have been like an amazing thing that right. you can't show at all. Or there's the reality of, you know, doing, don't ask, right? Like ask forgiveness. <laughs> right. Um, do you have like pointers, like how, for someone who's like younger or more junior, like as far as a portfolio, kind of some of those aspects yeah. and if you have any recommendation around that as far as like how to, what to think about how to go about it yeah um you know i've obviously had to you know walk that line for my entire career as creative uh you know there's some scenarios where of course if legally uh, you can't show something because maybe a product hasn't launched yet or um maybe uh you have some sort of um secret secrecy agreement like an nda that you've signed and you could put yourself in legal jeopardy um you know those scenarios are definitely a little bit tough to to maneuver around um and you know in those cases i'd be very selective about who i show things to i probably wouldn't ever send them over email um i'd probably just show them maybe in person and you know hope that you can have an agreement uh, of mutual respect the person that you're meeting with that they won't share that um information show the screen type stuff you can just show the screen i mean you know that that would be my wipe out logos you know certainly actually right like yeah to your to your own discretion you know but if you're a young designer i mean i've been doing this my whole career anyone wants to come sue me now they can you know open Um, invite yeah open open invite to all companies (laughs) that have shown their work please come sue me if you'd like to um <laughs> uh and you know i even got into trouble once um you know one i won't ma- name the company but uh they they tried to come after me they i left the company i put up the work on my website we didn't have any any contract that said i couldn't share the work right. um but they said it was theirs they owned it they paid me to do it and that was that was that was it and so they threatened to sue mm-hmm. and um and so I temporarily took the website down. The person that was responsible for essentially actually pursuing this lawsuit, which was completely frivolous and ridiculous, uh, and probably just more of a vendetta, um, you know, ended up leaving the company six months later. Mm-hmm. Boom, right back up on my site, mm-hmm. you know, because no one cared anymore. Yeah. So, um, you most know, of it's just cease and desist, and, you know. Yeah, exactly. You know. What? Now, now that you have your own agency, yeah. What is your approach? Do you bring, when you have those initial conversations with potential new clients, or you got just a new client? Yeah, probably more softly be a new client. So another reason to talk about when you have a potential client. Yeah. Um, do you proactively talk about that? Like, I hey, do. working with us at Academy, you know, we're gonna. Yes. Yeah, I mean, we write it into every single contract. Um, we have worked with organizations where there is um, a requirement of secrecy 
And in those cases, um, we tell them that we need to charge more. Um, or if it's a case where we can share the work, we yep. might even give them a discount because we, you know, give them the benefit. Yep. Um, and so that's how we manage it. But um, nowadays, we, we try to have it in every single contract that yep. we're allowed to share the work that we do. And honestly, our, our agency depends on it. And, um, you know, if um, our clients want us to be successful, too, and have the resources and the ability to continue to work with them, yeah. Well, we also need the ability to get more business. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And I think it probably speaks to your discipline running your own agency now speaks yeah. to the fact you've been doing it, right? And in this specific business. Because it seems like, yeah. you know, historically, it seems like that's not a topic that's normally breached up front or talked about. Right. And totally get the need for privacy. Totally get, you know, the need for, uh, 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 you know, you don't want to play your hand if you're a business. But at the same time, it's like in the in, in the other industry, right? Like a landscaper can show landscapes he's done, right? Like right. an architect could show buildings they built. Like it's not necessarily right. like a new paradigm. No. But it has seen for some reason in the digital world it's always kind of seen like, oh well, this is a totally different Right. You know, it's a totally different subject. You can't really show this. And it's like, no, this is kind of like how every other business works. Yeah. Right? Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I think if they, they value your service and, and they respect you as a business, right. they'll, they'll hopefully understand. Right. Um, but, of course, there's going to be companies who, you know, I know Apple yeah. or Google, of course, yeah. they have absolute secrecy agreements. And, um, you, you know, change your name. You gotta... Yeah, and, um, you know, I, I totally understand that, too. And, and we sort of take it on a project-by-project project basis. So um, it's always a negotiation. I'm really curious about like, um, and taking a step back, um, how you got into the UX UI game, um, because it seemed like you know, like you said, you started off with video work, and your background is in business. So, were there like books that you read, courses that you took? Um, do you have any suggestions for people that are trying to make that leap right now? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I I started really uh, just reading as much as I possibly could learn. Because um, as I started to learn about, um, like, IDEO was actually my first introduction to this type of work. You know, the, the work they were doing with design thinking, I was really inspired by it. It just, it just felt like the right way to be working on projects. Right. And I just didn't understand why were we doing things this way, right? Like, and I'll, let me explain. You know, the way, as you guys know, the agency of old, right, would be engaged by a client, they would hire them, they'd come back three to six months later with a project and do a huge reveal and be mm -hmm. like a magic show. Mm -hmm. And then, <laughs> you know, the client would see and say, oh, that's good, but can you change a bunch of things? Yeah. And then, then they'd launch the product and like show it to users and then, you know, half the things they didn't want or need and we'd spent all this time building it, yep. wasted all this money mm -hmm. and, you know, built something that no one really loved. And I thought about that process and I said, this is really dumb. Why are we doing things this way? And um, I said, why aren't we like test things beforehand? Why aren't we like working more collaboratively? Everyone's working in silos. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so as I started to learn about the work that IDEO was doing uh, and, uh, and reading about it, I said, wow, this is the way, way to work. So I, I got, got my hand, hands on as many IDEO books as I could. I think I read Change by Design. Um, there's another one I'm totally blanking on the name, um, but, but written by the, the Kelly brothers. Um, and then um, 
you know, I then started to read about Google Design Sprints and the mm -hmm. work that they were doing. They had a bunch of Fast Company articles, and I said, wow, this is a real, you know, fluid process that literally does all the things IDEO does with design thinking, but then puts it into a very clear, you know, step-by-step -step process. Can I start to do this in the work I'm doing? Mm -hmm. And um, as I started to practice it, um, I started to learn and become better. And, you know, eventually I was, I think I was just in the right place at the right time um, because UX was just becoming a thing and no one was an expert. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, by nature of being a pretty senior level creative that understood the business side, understood the creative side, and now could understand this like strategy and UX side, mm -hmm. um, I, I uniquely positioned myself to become um, an expert in the field. Mm -hmm. um, and so, in many ways, I was lucky, um, but um, you know, I also put myself in a position to win because I kind of saw the light of like where things were going. When did you first start using some of these methodologies? Like, uh, in what organization? When? Yeah, I think it probably all started at Time Magazine, or not Time. Uh, I meant to say, create uh, at AT and T AdWorks is where I meant to wow. say. Uh, and um, and I had a very small team there. It was like uh, we were, I think, up to eight people at one point. Um, but we started to do incredible work, mm -hmm. and um, I just start, started to see the difference in the work that we were we were outputting and the way that the team was working together. Did you have a hard time convincing a team to use like a new methodology like that? Because I've I've run into that in the in the past with yeah. agencies where you're trying to use the, the uh, like a rapid design process yeah. and the bureaucracy sometimes getting people all in the same room is is, yeah. is hard. Um, did you run into any? trouble in, in terms of trying to implement something yeah that at at and I had a lot of autonomy we kind mm -hmm. of like we didn't have as much oversight in the work we were doing it was in a, an innovation lab sort of mm -hmm. setting so we had freedom to be able to go and experiment and try new things and so we, there wasn't a lot of opposition there um, and the output of the work was really strong so our bosses didn't really care you know, they were like, this just looks good. And right. it's tested great, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so so in that way, it was, it was amazing. We got, it was a great proving ground for the work I was doing. But when I got to time, it was a much different story. I mean, when I got there, no one had heard of a UX designer before, right? Mm -hmm. um, Sketch and Envision were things like foreign to people. And mm -hmm. we had to train the team on Sketch, you know, right. like, and Envision. So that was, that was kind of an odd place to be. And not only that, it was a kind of an ancient organization, right? Super archaic in the way that they were used to doing editorial. They often would have hired agencies to build their, their websites. Pr previously, this was the first time a product team was coming in-house. And so um, I had to do a lot of convincing. And so I started by, you know, asking my boss, hey, can we do, like, I have this process that I really want to work on here. And like, I, I did it at at and it was successful. And I think it's going to be successful here. Can I at least try it on one small thing? Let's just try it on photo galleries. Like, let's see if I can improve the engagement of photo galleries. And so we did. We, we invited um, a small group of photo editors. The head of um, photography uh, came, and, uh, and our design team and product team and development team, we, we centered around this idea. We ran, ran our first ever design sprint, and it was an absolute disaster. <laughs> uh, too many people involved, um, you know, also a lot of opposition. People didn't understand the process, it was new. It was different. It wasn't called agile, so they were freaking out. And um, you know, eventually we, we kind of pulled it all together. And at the end, it was you know it was a little messy in the middle, 
But man, we came up with a really good solution and we ended up designing it and, and building it and testing it. And actually we ended up getting a lift, right? The wow. metrics spoke for themselves. Yeah. And you know, photo galleries were millions of dollars in revenue for time, right? Because mm -hmm. they were placing advertisements in between each photo. And we sort of changed the dynamic of how that would work. Mm -hmm. And we were able to increase the uh, amount of impressions to double, right? Um, and so we doubled their money with the changes that we made. So that's real value to design. That's table stakes right there. Mm -hmm. If you can prove the value of your design in dollars and cents, right, that's huge. And so from there, they were like, okay, green light. You, know, like, mm -hmm. you guys can start doing this on, on other stuff. And small wins, you know, I say, just give them small bites so they can chew them and, yeah. and, and hopefully you can get a win and, and uh, yeah, start to do more of this type of work. So with that said, um, which is a lot with, you know, agile type practice, Google design sprints, all <clears throat> around that methodology internally, right? When you add in the variable of you're working with a client, right, where you don't have, you know, the ability to fail once is you're gone, potentially, right? <laughs> right. Um, what is your, I guess, um, take on implementing it at with clients or and or how do you go about it with with clients and how you want to work with them yeah i mean because we've all been there i'm just curious what your pov is the the agency model as we have all known it even up until today for many agencies um is changing fundamentally um and when i set up this agency i knew that that was happening and I knew we needed to adapt and change the way that we worked with our clients. Um, our clients now see us a part, as a part of their team. We embed directly into their team, sometimes even sitting side by side in their office, pairing ourselves with maybe even their design team or their product management team uh, or their strategist, or we even provide some of those resources you know, ourselves and act as the product design team inside of the the companies that we're working with. Um, they rely on us for our talent, our strategies, our know-how, our processes, because they know they've hired us to be the experts. Mm -hmm. um, and so that collaborative environment, um, coupled with um, setting the expectation up front that there is a very specific process that we work within, and that if you're hiring us, you're hiring us because we are experts in that process. Um, then that's how we have to work. And unfortunately, we can't make any compromises with that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a good example of this, you know, recently we had a client who at first agreed to all of this and then said, you know, we're, we're pulling the research budget. We don't want to pay for a researcher. And I said, whoa, 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 wait. Like, if we're pulling the researcher, right. we are, like, we cannot be useful to you right. as an agency. We're, we're just not going to be able to make uh, competent decisions. If you want to hire somebody to do design work, um, you know, from maybe like another country or, you know, somewhere else that just is going to push pixels for you, you have to look elsewhere. We're not going to do that type of work. Um, we're strategists, we're um, researchers, we're designers first, and, um, and you need to sort of respect how we need to work. And so um, what we did was I said, look, we're going to prove the value of research to you. Um, for free, we're not gonna charge you anything. We're gonna start conducting some, some research. We're gonna talk to some of your users. We're gonna 
ask them what they think of the platform today. And then we'll go do that and we'll come back and give you some results. So we did that and the CEOs were totally astonished. They couldn't believe the amount of information that we were gathering from their users and how it totally changed their mind about some of the features they had dreamed up building. Yeah. And from there, they ended up doubling the research budget. So, you know, sometimes you do have to um, take a few sort of hits, and, and that sucks. Like, we don't want to have to do that. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, to prove the value of the work that you do. And, um, and I'll say that um, we, we definitely would have walked away from the project if they, they didn't agree to this. Yep. Um, and you have to, I think, hold yourself and the company that you're building to a super high standard. Because when we did make compromises earlier in the business, um, our clients lost and we lost. Yeah. To me, that's a different, the differentiator um, of, of the value of an agency like yours or the new model, whatever, whatever you want to call it, the newer model of agencies, right? Yeah. Because the, <clears throat> some of the arguments back, right, would be like, okay, well, if you're just giving people to sit on site, well, I can just go hire people, right? Mm-hmm. Vice versa, you got the other side of the kind of coin where it's like, well, you know, um, why would I have to come work for your organization if you're just going to hire me and put me down on site at a client, right? Mm-hmm. So then are you just an arbiter of judging portfolios, right? Mm-hmm. And collecting a, yeah. a, a part, of, part of margin off of a, of a rate. Right. Um, and or vice versa for, for the client or for you, right? Yeah. And so I think that to me, um, what you just said is kind of laying that down. It doesn't have to be where we do work for free or whatever, but having a stance and saying, here's the right way of doing it and why, and being able to have that stance and opinion yeah. and go toe to toe is a big differentiator because that's the only way you're going to prove value for your organization and get around some of those arguments that I can, that I see and have heard crop up in this moment of transition, right? Internal yeah. agency and putting people on site or what have you. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's sort of like, there's a difference between the type of work that we're doing and what many would might call um, a staff hog, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or sometimes, you know, staff augmentation. Um, and, you know, certainly we, you know, do help augment teams to some, some degree. Um, it's pretty rare we'll just give, you know, one designer off to somebody, right. you know. Um, usually we're bringing in a team. We're absolutely bringing in a leader that can help implement the process, facilitate, um, and, and oversee the project. Um, and, uh, you know, at times, you know, it's that person paired with a junior designer and maybe a strategist. And sometimes our clients will have a product manager that we'll work with, or sometimes we'll provide that. And so we're flexible in that way. We try to be accommodating. But um, when our process is not being followed, then we are not going to be accommodating, right? We need to draw a very hard line because our, our work and the value of the work that we do depends on our process. And if we're not able to conduct research or test and validate the, the work that we do, then we're no longer valuable and we're going to lose in the long run. A lot of agencies that, and that I've um, encountered in the past have a hard time turning down work because for whatever reason, to keep the lights on, to pay the bills um, and you know office space and whatnot. 
Um, Those are usually the reasons. Yeah. <laughs> whatever, so, not whatever the reasons. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. how do you, like, create, like, a, a, do you have, like, a healthy roster um, to be able to say no or to be able to hold true to your process? How yeah. How are you able to do that? Yeah. I mean, it's, there's always a, a healthy balance that needs to be struck. You know, mm-hmm. there are... Um, you know, I think there's philosophies of, yeah, take as much work as you can possibly get. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think I've been fortunate that um, we've turned down a lot of projects that we felt weren't the right fit for us, mm-hmm. even though at times we haven't been busy. And honestly, I'd rather wait for the right project and work on the right things and suffer a little bit financially mm-hmm. um, than, uh, than take on the wrong type of work. And that's sort of just been my philosophy. And you know, that means sometimes, yeah, we do do staff og or, you know, things like that to, to keep the lights on, if you mm-hmm. will. But that's other things that we've done to help change the paradigm a bit. We don't have physical office space. Mm-hmm. We are a remote company. The work that we do is super collaborative still. Mm-hmm. We go into our clients' offices. We work side by side with them if we need to. And sometimes we're working remotely. Thank God for tools now like Figma which have allowed designers to collaborate more seamlessly. We have a client that has people all over the country that we're now working with their designer in San Francisco, their um, developer in San Diego, and our design team here in New York, and our strategist <coughs> in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And so that's just unbelievable that that can be possible now. And um, most of our work is just done through via Slack and Google Drive and, um, and you know prototyping tools like Envision or Figma mm-hmm. um, and Sketch to, to be able to make this all possible. And so, you know, our, our investment is very low. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we really have very little risk other than, you know, full-time employees' salaries. And, um, you know, we also have a list of um, freelancers that, that have been incredible partners to us and, you know, luckily have come back time and time again for more work. And, and uh, yeah, so, you know, we just don't believe in compromising on our values. And um, I think that a lot of agencies do do that. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it serves them well. Do you find yourself constantly reminding the clients that you're not going to compromise? Like, do you wear t-shirts to say expert, no compromise, (laughs) while you're walking around their offices? (laughs) Um, You know, I I think I do in a really respectful way. you know, I try to educate them on the benefits. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try to, like, you know, the example I gave before where we gave away some research for free, mm-hmm. right? Um, we try to, you know, practice what we preach and show the value in the work that we do by, you know, leading by example. Mm-hmm. And um, I think people really, really respect us for that. We're not uh, aggressive about it. We're not angry about it. Um, we just let them know that it's, it's not the approach that we would want to take. Mm-hmm. And um, I think by taking um, a strong stance but a respectful one, people really do respect that. And, um, and that's how I manage it. That's cool. Um, sorry, 45-inch gentleman. There's one other thing I was going to throw out because I know it's something we all talked about maybe a month ago or so for Martini Happy Hour. Little tiny grapes, maybe might be sick. <laughs> um, we're not going to mention where. Uh, the, re- the recruiting model. Um, 
don't know, do you want to take a take a kind of what you were, I know you brought it up as well. We had our pre, pre-discussion of the podcast. Yeah. Do you want to, maybe if you want to kick it off your thoughts, we can go from there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we had a great conversation and she just did it there live to, to set it up. I mean, um, I started to ask questions about the way the current recruiting model works. Um, you know, I've been a freelance creative for many years. I've had recruiters work with me. Some have been excellent. They've got me jobs. I've been happy about those jobs. Um, but one of the things that came up over and over again was they would never really reveal to me how much they were charging for my services. And, um, and so when I would go in and work for a company, I might you know agree to a rate that was really negotiated through a recruiter. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I would accept, you know, sort of whatever they were asking for, or I would try to negotiate higher, but oftentimes they had some sort of other agenda that I didn't know about, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I just always felt like there should have been more transparency in the process. Mm -hmm. Um, If I was going to charge a rate, should they be allowed to charge 50% more, 100% more, Mm -hmm. right? Um, That didn't feel right to me. And even as I started to hire people and work with recruiters in some of the agencies and companies I worked for, I learned that how much they were charging for their service and how much they were paying my designers. And it made me very upset. Right. Sometimes charging 200% more. Wow. And that was absurd to me, right? And um, so and much in these so. Mo- in these scenarios, you're being freelance recruiters third party to the client. And you're being yeah. paid to this recruiter, obviously. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, and then on the flip side, as a hirer, um, my designers were being paid by these recruiting agencies, and um, and they were being um, paid such a low amount that it actually made me upset, um, because I was now friends with these people, right. and I thought they deserved more, and I knew my company could afford that, right? Because we were already paying the recruiter. That amount, amount of money. Mm-hmm. So, um, so this really like kind of set me off on this path of like, well, I, I think there needs to be more transparency in this world. And I should know exactly how much they're charging. And I think that if, um, if we understood that better, we would have a better relationship. They would look less predatory in the way that recruiters work. I think they have a very negative reputation. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that... Um, I think that everyone would benefit yeah. um, in, in that transparency. And are these, and I'm just only speaking, I'm just, just asking genuine questions. <clears throat> in these scenarios of these kind of like creative focus recruiting, because obviously, in my experience, I've a lot of times seen companies use clients to use and or my agencies that I've been a part of use is more of you're paying a recruiter based on like just a percentage. Right. And then you're done, right? And like right. actually the agency's paying for that freelancer right. and or the company. Right. Um, so obviously it's a different model than that, but are these mostly like kind of creative focus agencies or? Yeah, I think that the, the ones that I know well are, are creative focused. Um, and, and I'd say the more experience I've had is on the freelance um, recruiting side of things, not yep. necessarily in the full time. Yep. Um, but even in the full time, there isn't transparency by the recruiter for the most part at least in my experience, um, how much they're charging the company for their service. Yeah. Um, and it's usually um, a percentage of the total amount mm-hmm. the person is hired for. Yeah. So um, the question is, with the 
company have paid that money to that person anyways. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that recruiters don't deserve uh, a certain percentage. Mm -hmm. I think their work is super valuable and, um, and I think they're an absolute necessity in the industry. Um, but what I'm saying is that I think they need to be transparent about how much money they're making off the person that mm -hmm. they're selling. Yep. Do you think that transparency needs to come from also the companies themselves? Because, you know, time and time again, if, like when <coughs> you're looking for a job on, say, LinkedIn or um, any other job site, it, maybe one out of every five will have a salary range there. But it's not mm -hmm. even like, it, it would be a, like, you know, an estimated range. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, by being transparent of like, this is our budget. This is where, even if it is a range and it's within 10 to 20%, right. do you think that would actually help a lot more in terms of like cutting off this disingenuous type of charging, right? Yeah, I suppose, you know, the company revealing how much they're willing to pay certainly um, mm -hmm. adds a level of transparency because now the designer or any other position may be able to go to the company website and see what that salary range is. And, you know, also sites like Glassdoor helping sort of democratize that. You know mm -hmm. how much now a senior designer makes at some company, right? Yeah. So when you go and negotiate that salary, you can come in and say, well, look, I know that the average in New York is this amount of money, and actually the average at your company is this amount of money. Yeah. So why are you offering me significantly lower? Yeah. And, um, and that also does give you bargaining power when it comes to the recruiter themselves. But not everybody understands the recruiting model either, and it's not really explained to you, I think, purposely, yeah. right? Um, unless you start to ask the right questions. Yeah. And so I did ask the right questions, and I did negotiate with them. And, um, and eventually I got to a place where, um, you know, I was gonna accept the job regardless, um, but I was, it definitely left a sour taste in my mouth the last time yeah. I, I worked with a recruiter. Um. Okay, I feel like we can almost have like a new section of these podcasts where it's almost like a challenge or a question to someone else, right? It's almost like we're talking about this recruiting topic. Obviously, it'd be great to talk to some recruiters. It'd be great to talk to some people who are like internal agency, data resource manager, what have you, that would have maybe some more context knowledge, what have you. It's almost right. like issuing a challenge, like, mm -hmm. you know, and then having kind of like a re- Another, a conversation on that with that person, right? It's almost like, yeah, hey, I don't understand this. Why does it work? Why don't we do X, Y, and Z? Yeah. And like offer that challenge out there and have that kind of conversation. Let's do a battle royale. Yeah, it doesn't have to be. <laughs> That's one way of looking at it. But I mean, I mean, it is genuine. You know, it's. I think it's good information and good conversations to have. You know what I mean? Agreed. Like, yeah. There's no, there's no skin in the game here having this conversation. It's not like we're negotiating over a real thing, right? But yeah. It's, but it's still like be nice to hear that understanding that and having that perspective that. Maybe a conversation that happens behind closed doors, but, you know, have it on this. So, I yeah, know, I think it, it would be a, a really valuable conversation yeah, to we'll have. Let's set that up. Yeah. We're missing people. Yeah. <laughs> it, it might actually create a new business model for them as Maybe. well. And um, it's, it's long overdue in this industry, right? Agreed. We'll put that conversation behind the paywall. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Uh, well, is there anything else that you want to... No, this is fantastic. Anyway. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you, Adam. Much appreciated. Um, and we'll put the, uh, the link to your project and everything in the information we post this. Good stuff. Thanks, cool. Ken. Thank Thanks. You. Cheers. Thank you for listening. For more authentic discussions with leaders in the industry, please check out 
agencyoftoday.com.